Welcome to ReCommerce, a podcast for e-commerce wearable brands navigating technical complexity and change. Brought to you by Command-C. Welcome to another episode of ReCommerce. Today, I'm here with Tim, a tech lead at Command-C. I'm Sarah, the founder of Command-C, and today we're going to be talking about optimizing checkout. Now, I know we've all read a million articles about optimizing checkout, so today our focus is going to be slightly more specific, and we're going to dissect the ins and outs of optimizing for mobile checkout as well as the mini cart or the flyout cart. So um, with that, welcome, Tim. Glad to have you here. Hi, Sarah. It's great to be here today. And it's a good thing that you're talking about mobile because we've seen mobile checkouts increase by 20 to 30% over the past year. So it's very important that e-commerce retailers begin focusing even more of their attention on mobile checkout. That is a massive number for a one year. That is a huge increase. And that's why it is really important for for that mobile mobile focus. Yeah, I think it's, you know, not only is it a huge increase, but it's just it's such an indicator that mobile shopping is not going away. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we always can uh, encounter a little bit of resistance when it comes to doing one more thing. But this is a really important thing. What about the mini cart? Um, the mini cart is is a great feature for for e-commerce retailers to use to give help their customers through the checkout process. But so many um, merchants are beginning to use the mini cart incorrectly and putting too much focus on the mini cart and taking away from the traditional cart and therefore distracting. Well, I cannot wait to to dig into these topics. Um, but before we do. I want to set some sort of high-level strategic guiding principles that apply when it comes to optimizing any facet of checkout, be it, you know, the the two kind of angles that we're going to discuss today or desktop. And those guiding principles are to minimize distractions, to minimize obstacles, and test, 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 as as we put it here at Command-C. Let's talk about a few examples of each of those guiding categories of mistakes that we often see. Sure. So when it comes to distractions, once a customer has decided that they want to click that button into your checkout process, you want to do as little as you can to distract them from that process and and encourage them as much as possible to move all the way through. So one of the things that that I very strongly recommend is to to remove as many distractions, such as the header and footer should be very simple to keep users focused on those checkout steps. Yeah, it's so interesting because this is such a thing with Shopify, right? Like once you pass the cart, um, the header and the, the footer look really different. They do. And... 
for years, that's been, you know, a common request is more customization there. Not to go off on a, a Shopify tangent, but, you know, the two of the most common requests that we get with Shopify are to add more customization to the checkout process and one page checkout. And we've always said that, you know, Shopify has its reasons for for doing it this way. That's just such a testament to this point of um, even if it kind of breaks continuity with the rest of the site, minimizing distractions once someone has hit checkout takes precedence. The other thing I think is sort of important to clarify just as we kind of embark on this discussion is the difference between cart and checkout because I feel like a lot of merchants often lump the cart in with the checkout experience. And maybe that's a blurry line, but I think some different rules apply to the cart experience itself than once a user hits checkout. Absolutely. So in my mind, when somebody is sitting in their cart, they're still evaluating whether they're wanting to make that purchase. Mm -hmm. They might still be looking at products. They might be evaluating pricing. They might be looking to see what tax or, or shipping fees might come to in the end, and they're still in the process of in that decision-making process. Once they hit that begin checkout button, they've made that decision. They want to purchase from your site. Mm -hmm. And so you really need to encourage them as to, to go through that process uh, from that point. Yeah. So in terms of minimizing distractions, um, you know, I know that something we talk about a lot internally here is upsell right? So where is upsell appropriate? Where is upsell, you know, not recommended? That sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. On the, when a customer is still making a decision, that's when upsells are very much appropriate. So on the product pages, in the cart, um, those are excellent places for upsells or cross sells. Once somebody again has made that purchase decision, you really don't want to be offering um, any additional distractions, and that those upsells or cross sells really become a distraction at that point. Mm -hmm. I think another common distraction is merchants trying to add a little too much information to the cart or even the checkout process. So obviously, you know, you want to be clear with your users and make sure that they're making an informed purchase and they have all the information they need. But I'm often finding myself asking, you know, is this something that would be better for an FAQs page rather than language that has to be in the checkout or the cart? Right. So things like shipping policy, return policy, those elements would be excellent for an FAQs page, but you really don't need to present them there during that that process. Yeah. Right. So in terms of minimizing obstacles, which we see as different from minimizing distractions, what are some common obstacles that you see being implemented in the checkout or cart experience? So I see an obstacle as anything that actually prevents the user from moving through their checkout. Mm -hmm. um, so some of those obstacles would be if the if you're asking for too much information that's required, or if you're not giving them enough feedback that this is the information that you're expecting, um, or possibly even if you're not giving them a reason why you need an additional piece of information that they're not used to giving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think a super common one is forcing users to register for your site. 
Absolutely. And, you know, guest checkouts are, are around for a reason. And that's, that's to another to remove, remove, reduce the obstacles for people moving through the checkout process. If somebody has to register for your site, they may really only intend on making the single purchase from your site. Um, and so that having, forcing them to create a username and password is just an extra step that's not, not necessary. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the point of, I'm, I might be a one-time customer, but there's also just the apprehension around having another username and password, right? Like Absolutely. I experience that all the time. Yeah. So, so many usernames and passwords. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Last pass. Um, <laughs> so, all right, let's, let's uh, address testing because I know testing is a huge word. So when we say, you know, testing is a guiding principle, I want to break down for our listeners specifically what we mean by testing in this context. So there are several different layers of testing. One layer is just making sure that the checkout process works. Mm -hmm. So just going through it on all devices and making sure that you're able to complete the checkout process without any any problems. Um, another element of testing is making sure that any non-standard changes that you've put in make sense to your users. And so just you know, having somebody look at it and, and tell you, yeah, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. Somebody uh, other than yourself, right? Other than yourself. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and then the third, third method would be once you've implemented these changes, you want to make sure that they're having a positive impact, impact on conversions. Mm -hmm. it's certainly every e-commerce store is different. Every business is different. And so some of the recommendations that make sense for many stores may not make sense for another. So just validating any of those changes with actual metrics after implementation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a important thing to consider is like the timeline for collecting those metrics, which is always somewhat contextual, right? Like, so, you know, if you implement a change, then, you know, just kind of gathering the metrics the next week, <laughs> Mm -hmm. may not give you enough data to, to kind of confirm whether or not it's been an effective change. But then again, I think it depends on, well, I know it depends on the type of change that you're implementing and how much traffic you have. So the more traffic you have, oftentimes the shorter kind of time span required for evaluating the impact of a change that you're going to make. That's why testing can be so challenging with lower traffic sites, because it takes a really long time to accumulate meaningful data. Absolutely. And it's also important to ensure that you aren't confounding your testing with, say, a promotion that's going on right. or a specific time of year. Um, that sales may be increased um, or non-typical. Non right. And then depending on the kind of merchant you are, again, um, testing goes as far as, you know, things like usability testing or A-B testing if you have enough traffic, heat map testing, those sorts of things. So, you know, our point really with testing is like do it, determine what forms make sense for your business, but at a minimum ensure that, you know, someone other than the person who is closest to the site or the people who are closest to the site, in other words, people who have an objective experience of the site, are taking the time to browse not only for functionality, you know, seamlessness, but also just kind of like contextually, like, does it all make sense? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> 
You're listening to ReCommerce, a podcast for e-commerce wearable brands navigating technical complexity and change. Brought to you by Command C, a development team that saves e-commerce retailers from outdated tech and ineffective operations, with a strong focus on Magento and Shopify Plus. You can learn more about how we help at commandc.com. All right, now that we've set the groundwork for sort of the the high-level strategic guiding principles of cart and checkout optimization, let's dig into the nitty-gritty of mobile checkout. When a merchant comes to us saying that their site is not converting on mobile, where where do we start? Well, the first thing, I'm actually amazed at the number of e-commerce retailers that haven't properly tested their site on mobile. There's just like a glaring issue that would just be obviously caught if, if somebody were to go through on mobile and, and, and perform a checkout. And just out of curiosity, do you think that's that that's actually because it hasn't been tested or because the wrong people are testing it? It could be either. It could be either. Um, either somebody who doesn't isn't familiar with the technologies or the or the process, or it's it's also possible that they just haven't considered um, the amount of mobile checkout that's been increasing. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I guess what I was kind of getting at there is. I see people really close to the site being the testers of the site often and not to kind of harp on something that we were already talking about last segment, but it's, it's a really important principle. Like being on the inside of a business, you just can't separate yourself and and your perspective from the experience of someone who is not on the inside of the business. So I think that's, that's just a really important point to drive home is making sure that you have the right kinds of folks testing your site. One of my favorite testing techniques is called hallway usability testing. And that's just going down the hall and asking three people that are completely unrelated to the site to just take a look at it and walk through it and see how it works. You know, time and time again, that approach is more fruitful (laughs) than, you know, more complex approaches like A-B testing, right? Like that is, is just such a tried and true way to test something. So another thing we often see, particularly when it comes to to mobile, is that there isn't actually a mobile optimized checkout. Um, So when somebody goes to checkout on their mobile device, they're going through the desktop checkout process. Mm -hmm. And and that checkout makes it very difficult for somebody to tap on the form fields or navigate through the process. So when we're talking about obstacles, that is a very large obstacle to check out. And when you say that they're going through the desktop checkout, do you literally mean that the site is not responsive or that the checkout hasn't been reimagined or reorganized for a mobile device? Both, actually, because if it's not responsive, then that is a huge issue, right? Um, but there's also different elements that you can use to make the mobile checkout work uh, on better on mobile devices. Now, there are a lot of features of mobile devices that you can use that don't exist on desktop or are just beginning to exist on desktop. Like what? Such as, 
such as autofilling of form fields. Your mobile device knows a lot about you, knows your name and address, and can pre-fill that information as long as the forms are have the have the hints that the mobile browsers need in order to put those fields in the right place. And merchants have to be intentional about that. It's not, well, I guess developers have to be intentional about that. Um, but merchants need to be armed with that awareness when they're working with their development team to ensure that those tools, I'll call them, are being put into place. Absolutely. A good example of that is, say, an email address field. It looks exactly like a text field. It looks exactly like a name field. But when you're entering an email address, you need a special set of characters. You need the at sign. You need the period. You need those characters readily available for you. And so having the, making sure that the mobile browser, mobile device presents the correct keyboard to the user um, is important. Mm-hmm. As a user of mobile checkout, one of my pet peeves is when form fields are too small or buttons are too small or they're just too close together, like there's not enough white space between them. This feels like a really big barrier to me. Yeah. A lot of designers don't take into account the size of somebody's finger when putting in a design. Mm-hmm. And you need space to be able to touch on, on a form field and, and put your information in. Mm-hmm. What about mobile payment methods? How critical are those at this juncture in time? Um, what's your perspective on them? Mobile payment is such a time saver for so many people. Um, oftentimes when you're using your mobile device, you don't have your credit card readily available. You don't have your information there in front of you. Or you just don't want to take it out in like the middle of the subway, for example, right? <laughs> exactly. So so having enabling mobile checkout really can streamline that process. So some retailers have even seen their mobile checkout conversions increase by 200% or more by just enabling uh, mobile payment methods. Wow. All right. Let's shift our focus to talking about the mini cart. I see a lot of missteps when it comes to the use of the mini cart. And I think maybe a good place to start with this would be to talk about the history of the mini cart and where, you know, it originated from. Absolutely. So if you think back in the days of e-commerce, when a customer added their product to their cart, they were taken to the full cart. Then the mini cart came around, which provided people feedback that the item had been added to cart without making them navigate away from their current browsing experience. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge improvement um, over for user experience during that checkout process. So for example, if somebody wants to buy multiple products, there's no reason to take them away from the purchasing process in order to confirm that an item was added to their cart. Yeah. So now where do we find ourselves? <laughs> well, I've, I've seen many, many retailers overusing the mini cart and really using it as a cart replacement and mm. just putting too much information in the cart, making it so that you're overwhelming the customer with information when they add one single item to their cart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the principle of like avoiding distractions, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I think the most important takeaway there is just remembering what the, the goal of the mini cart is. And that is twofold, right? It's to give feedback that this item has been added to your cart and provide the information associated with not only that item, but 
perhaps other items that you may have in your cart. Like I know I always really like to check my mini cart and just see what my total is of all the Mm -hmm. products that I'm looking to purchase. And then to also kind of create a shortcut, but only a shortcut to adjusting my, that my purchase selection, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So on the mini cart, you don't want to see things like upsells or cross sells necessarily because it's just taking the information too far. You see the inf- see the item that you just added to your cart um, and guiding you either forward to checking out or over to browsing additional items, not necessarily hijacking your your thought process, sending you a different direction on the site. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's an argument to be made for certain kinds of upsells. Like if there's an upsell that's associated with that particular product that is in the mini cart, um, or if there's like a product bundling option, in my mind, kind of the line of thought is we don't want to distract, right? So we don't necessarily want to send them to a whole new product category, but if there's a chance for a quick upsell without distracting, then my thought is that there might be some room for that. Yeah, absolutely. So things like service plans or additional components that might be required to improve the experience. Those are things that are very much beneficial to have in that mini cart. Mm-hmm. But other elements, like completely different categories, like you mentioned, um, it, it's it's too distracting. Mm-hmm. Another facet of the mini cart that I think is so important is sort of that quick tooltip when the mini cart is closed that shows the user how many items they have in their cart. I've been on sites that don't have that and I get, I feel very abandoned. I feel like, hey, I just added this thing to my cart and now it's not there. Like that's how I (laughs) interpret not seeing that little number tooltip. Yep. And that's especially overlooked on mobile. Mm-hmm. On desktop, when you have more real estate, it's very easy to put cart parentheses and the, and the number. Mm-hmm. But on mobile, when you just have an icon for your cart, it's also still very important to have that context so mm-hmm. that some the people know, yes, I have so many items in my cart. No, my cart hasn't been lost. It's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for that reinforcement. Which brings up a good point. Uh, what about mini cart on mobile? And Minicart on mobile, there's so little real estate on mobile that really Minicart just should have feedback on the item that you just purchased and perhaps the total number of items Mm -hmm. and your total purchase. Mm -hmm. Um, And then guide people to the full cart if, if, um, or when they are ready to go there. Yeah. I think user experience on, uh, with the Minicart on mobile is so key also, like, And true, what I've seen to be more effective is like a mini cart that opens on, on mobile specifically opens and takes over the full screen, but there's like a very clear close button or there's some level of transparency. So you're not losing the context of where you actually are on the site. I think it's important to remember that when you have a mini cart that takes over the full screen on desktop, that typically you're kind of losing the point of the mini cart, which is to maintain kind of the context of where the user is. But you're constantly having to weigh pros and cons with mobile and a true like mini cart. Like it can just be too small um, unless you're actually kind of using the, the width of the device you're on. 
in a way, if you're pre presenting the entire cart, you're kind of taking a step back in the days of e-commerce to right. where we were before pushing people all the way to the full cart when they add an item. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this was fruitful. Uh, it's great chatting with you today, Tim. Thanks yeah. so much. It's been great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you join us again for another episode of ReCommerce.